Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Good weekend? This is the last thing I'm going to do in Australia after six weeks. And so it's like kind of it's it's the final game for me tonight you know not even not even the semi-final but I'm I've had a great week and Lisa and I've had a great week here at the granary and for those of you there's just a few of you I haven't met before um, here's a picture of my family Lisa and I and then we've got three young adult kids who we're looking forward to seeing on Tuesday uh, Lisa and I work with an organization that we help start called reimagine Reimagine. Some of you remember that poem from the other night. And we're really passionate about helping people apply the teachings of Christ to the messy details of everyday life. So um, I got the chance to talk about this in a bit more detail on Thursday night at Young Adults, but we like to create environments where we look at some of the crazy things that Jesus said and did and, the, and then experiment with it. What if we had to go at that? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Love your enemies. Forgive relentlessly. Don't worry or be anxious. How do we go about doing those things? What what would be the like actual steps, new things we do in our minds and bodies to help us do that? So I'm really into practicing the way of Jesus, which is the title of a a book I had a chance to write a few years ago. Uh, Another way I look at it is we're trying to create a Jesus dojo. Uh, Some people my age know about crane position, karate kid, wax on, wax off. And I love that idea that there's a sensei who's training and teaching and students or um, Padawans learning. And I think Jesus desires to have that relationship with us where we learn to live his kind of life because it's a way that's freer and lighter than the kind of life we've created for ourselves. So um, that's my my passion. Um, Back in 2015, a group in London contacted me and said, we, love, we read your book, Practicing the Way of Jesus, and we would love for you to come and do some training with us. It was a, Bible, a global Bible agency. And after one of our days together, they took me out to a pub. It, it was actually the one Charlie Chaplin loved to hang out in when he lived in London. And they said to me, Mark, we look around the UK right now. And at the time, uh, like 10 young people a month were being radicalized into uh, Islamic groups, terrorist groups. And they said most younger generations on this, uh, in this country, because of the scandals in the church and the judgmentalism, have, have very little interest in church or in Christianity. And they think it's irrelevant. Some people even think it's toxic, like it's a damaging, unhealthy thing. And yet, We know that that's so different than how Jesus lived and how he taught. And we want to give young people a chance to to know that. And we think that the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is a place to start. I mean, those Beatitudes are chock full of things like peacemaking, justice, purity of heart, compassion, things that really resonate with our hearts today. And so we're wondering if you'd want to help us develop some materials around this. 
So I jumped at the chance and I'm like, that sounds awesome. So I got to spend a few years working with the Beatitudes, doing a lot of study on it, um, doing pilot groups and um, talking with younger people and um, leading retreats. And so what I'm going to share tonight is a bit of that journey. But while we were sitting in that pub that night, talking about this, I said, you know what this, this project makes me think of? When I was a young pastor, uh, I got an email from a Zen Buddhist priest. And he said, Mark, um, I saw one of your books at a bookstore and I picked it up and I thought, you're, you're the kind of Christian that maybe I could talk to about what's going on in my life. He said, I'm about to be ordained as a Zen priest after 15 years living on a monastery. But earlier in life, when I was in high school, I had a Jesus experience. But the group I was, the church I was part of wasn't super healthy. There was a lot of toxic things about it. And so I got discouraged and my seeking went more to the East than the West. But he said, here's the thing. When I sit Zazen, I hear Jesus calling to me and I don't know what to do with that. So I quick fired an email back to him and said, um, Shinko, I would love to have dinner with you. So like, come on over. He was a bit nervous to come to our house. He had his rock suit on and his robes. And I think he thought I might be like, a, I don't know, a fundamentalist televangelist or something. He told me later he was pretty nervous. And at that time in my life, I thought it was my job to figure out whether or not somebody else had the right beliefs to have a relationship with Jesus. And so I asked, uh, I asked this question. I said, I said, Shinko, what do you think about Jesus? Hoping to get an orthodox answer. And he paused for a moment and he thought about it. And he said, Mark, I think I know what you're trying to get out of me. And I don't know if I can give you the right answer. I'll just say this. I adore Jesus. And then he started to cry. And I thought, man, for me, being a Christian has been a bit of an intellectual exercise. Like I, like I, I know what's, I know the, I know the right stuff or whatever, but my whole self has not been engaged in the same way that it has been for Shinko, who is, who many people would consider an outsider. And so we became fast friends. The second time um, we got together, we went for a walk around my neighborhood. And man, uh, walking around with a Zen priest is kind of like walking around with a brand new baby or a cute little puppy. Everybody's smiling at us. People are doing like this and bowing respectfully. And I thought, um, I, 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 just, I was a bit more humble now. And I, and I said, um, Shinko, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that much about faith traditions outside my own. So maybe you can help me understand, uh, like, what does it mean for you to, f to, to follow the a Buddhist way? Like, what's your way? When you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And in about four minutes, he explained the four noble truths. And then he said, based on that understanding of reality, I try and follow the eightfold path right livelihood, right motive. And he just kept listing these things out. And he said, so when I wake up every day, I'm thinking about the eightfold path. And I thought, fascinating. But then he asked me the same question I asked him. I wasn't prepared for that. Mark, you say you're a follower of Jesus. When you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? 
And I sort of panicked. What's, what, what am I going to tell him? And I quick recovered and I said, Shinko, I wake up each day to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself. And I sort of congratulated myself. Good answer, Mark. Like that, yeah, you really recovered there. But I was a bit haunted of the, about the difference between how Shinko answered and how I answered. Shinko cast a picture of what's real and then said, this is what I, how I try and walk it out. I just sort of gave a bumper sticker answer. How exactly do I wake up each day to love God and love my neighbor as myself? Like it didn't quite touch the ground. And I told my friends in that London pub, I think that I'm not alone in this, that we want to follow the Jesus way, but it's not real clear to us what that way is. And I don't think it's because Jesus wasn't clear. One of my um, teachers was Dallas Willard, and he would often say that the Sermon on the Mount is like the curriculum for Christ's likeness. It gives us a clear picture of the kind of life Jesus invites us into, except that when I was coming up, I didn't learn to pay attention to the things Jesus said about life. The important thing for me growing up was that um, Jesus died. And he was born, he born, he was born, he died, he came back to life. And I didn't really pay that much attention to those red letters about what he taught about life. And, and so I said to those friends in the pub, I think we have an opportunity here to actually spell this out. Now there's 110 verses in the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard to remember um, that, that many things. Um, maybe the Beatitudes could be the key to us understanding the big themes in the kind of life Jesus invites us into. Almost as if it's like the ninefold path for us. So we started sketching this on a napkin in that pub. Um, wow, poor in spirit. That's like, that's like the way of trust. Um, blessed are those who mourn. That's like a way of lament. And we started, started working on this. So let's get into it. Let's take a look at the, at the, at the um, Beatitudes. They come in Matthew 5. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and began to teach. He said, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and blessed are you. A lot of blessed going on in, in that text. What's going on with that? In the um, language Jesus spoke, the word was makarios, and it meant something like, this person really has it going on. They are highly fortunate. They are godlike. It's the kind of way, a blessed person would be kind of like the way we would talk about our favorite footy player or favorite Hollywood celebrity or I think of Queen Beyonce and the glory that's kind of around her and Jay-Z, right? And so what's curious is who, well, in that time, people thought there's a rarefied few people who are Makarios and then there's the rest of us. And so what's curious is that in this passage, Jesus, who Jesus calls Makarios, who he calls blessed. And so Dallas Willard, one time I heard him say, like, just imagine there's no microphones there when Jesus is sharing this. He's seeing real people, people from all walks of life. And it's very possible that as he's saying these things, he's looking at particular people. He sees this guy who's barely had enough calories. He's a very poor person. And he says, blessed are the poor, brother. And then he looks over and he sees, he sees a woman who maybe he's been in mourning. 
And, and his heart goes out there and he says, blessed are those who mourn, sister. Uh, God's comfort can come to you. And then he sees this day laborer, this, this person who's, who's barely making enough to get by. And he says, blessed are the meek, brother. You're going to inherit the earth. And everyone listening would have been thinking, why is Jesus calling these losers blessed? It messed with their mind, like uh, their idea of who's blessed. And I think we sometimes get in, caught in the same trap in our day where we tend to think that there's a few rarefied people who God really loves, who really have it going on, and then there's the rest of us. So what Jesus partly is saying with the Beatitudes is nobody gets left behind. Whatever your story, whatever your struggle, wherever you find yourself, God's life can meet you. You are blessed, and you can wake up to that and, and participate in the God life that you were created for. So that's, I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. But it wouldn't have taken, I don't know, I'm a poet myself. It wouldn't take nine different phrases to get that point across. I think you could do it with two or three, uh, maybe four. And the other thing is, not every one of those things listed in the Beatitudes is a negative feature or quality. I mean, um, hungering and thirsting for justice, that's awesome. Being merciful, pure in heart, being a peacemaker, these are noble qualities. So here's what I think is going on, is that Jesus is introducing themes of what it means to live the blessed life, the with God life. And he's going to unpack them in the next couple of chapters. So I just want to emphasize again that I think Maybe we haven't paid attention to these things carefully because if you're like me, I learned to think about my faith a lot in terms of the past. The 2,000 years ago past, maybe my past, and, how, and, the, and the moment or time when I really woke up to God's reality that happened when I was a younger person. Or we tend to think about the future, when Jesus comes back or when we die and the hope that we might have there. I hadn't learned to pay attention to what Jesus had to say about life in the here and now. Most of what he had to say in those red letters was about how we can experience a flourishing life in this, to, in this day, in, this, in the now of our lives. So I want to get into it with you. And, and I don't have time tonight, unless you want to stay way late, to walk through every single one of the Beatitudes. But I'm going to pick um, about four of them to to talk through. And the lens we're going to look at this with is <clears throat> that there's certain ways we've learned to live. Paul called it that we learn to live in the kingdom of darkness, but Jesus has made it possible for us to live in the kingdom of light. And so there's these contrasts. First, I like to say there's distorted thoughts we have about life. Um, and then there's actually the truth or reality. There are these first instincts that we have that were survival strategies, but we don't want to live just in those first instincts. We're being invited into new postures for life. Nine new postures for life, according to the Beatitudes. Are you ready to get into it? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to need your help. We learn better by doing than just by thinking. And so I'm going to invite you to engage your body in this talk. Uh, there's going to be some hand movements and body postures going on. On occasion, I'm going to invite you to stand up 
and um, do a little bit of engagement with the person sitting next to you. Uh, would you be up for that? It'll make it way more interesting. You'll stay, you trust me, you'll stay awake better, okay? So here's what I'm getting about that first instinct chosen posture. A classic example that you, if you've taken a psychology class, you heard about this fight or flight response. That when we're scared, uh, it like ding, ding, ding goes in our amygdala. We start breathing heavy, cortisol's released. We freak out. And this is good if um, a tiger's chasing you. Not so good uh, in your everyday life, right? And so we have to learn to go from this closed-fisted, anxious state to, uh, uh, to move from that to a relaxed state where we breathe deep, we, we, uh, we give access to our prefrontal cortex, we trust that we live in a world where God cares for us, that this is a safe universe to live in, and we learn to let go and trust. Does that make sense? That's my kind of hit on the first beatitude. But let's get into the second one that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Now, I got to say, like, if Jesus was trying to make it on the motivational speaker circuit in the 21st century, he might have wanted to steer away from this one. That's like saying, happy are those who are unhappy. Actually, there's some great wisdom to this. So think about this. Our first instinct is to want to run away from pain. And um, when, when I, I, I've recently been with some young children, um, and like when they're not happy, you, you, you don't want them to be that way, right? And so um, there's crying on the airplane, the bus, in the car, and the adults will do anything they can to soothe and comfort and distract that young child, right? Here's a lolly. Check out this cool video of a, a, a kinda's on my phone right now. Like whatever we have to do to get them to not focus on what's making them sad. You and I have gotten really genius at this, and we found all kinds of ways to turn away from our pain. So do this posture with me. This is the posture of pain avoidance. It's, it's real, it's there, but I don't want to face it. Uh, sometimes this is an important thing. Like if we went through trauma early in life it's, and our brains aren't developed enough, we got to turn from it. But also it's that everyday stuff of the sadness, the disappointment, the loss and so we've found ways to numb out or distract ourselves. Wow, I found out that certain foods kind of numb me out, make me feel good, uh, other substances. Um, I found out that if I play a video game or scroll on my phone, or um, if I overwork or that big pint of ice cream at night, like nibble, 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 like somehow something that take me away from the harsh, the harder realities of life, right? And uh, some of us, it's overworking. I, I, if I just stay at work, I don't have to face what's hard at home, right? So Jesus is wise in telling us, blessed are those who mourn, because he knows that running from pain rarely helps. And anybody in recovery knows this, that sometimes the numbing out actually makes the pain go deeper, and it adds a secondary trauma to our lives, you know, and affects our, um, affects our presence in our relationships even more. And so Jesus is inviting us from, uh, um, to, to stop running from the, our pain and to, um, to adopt this new posture. 
Put your hands on your head with me for a second. Ancient people knew how to mourn. They would throw ashes on their head. They would tear their clothes. They'd sit down in the dirt and weep to face what's, what's hard. And with incredible wisdom, Jesus invites us to do the same. When you look out at our world, what breaks your heart? What makes you feel sad? Just quietly consider that for a question, for a moment. And where do you feel loneliness, pain, disappointment, or loss in your life? I know some of us have seen that new movie about human trafficking and our hearts are broken about that. Or I think about the fires raging around the world and the, the effects of climate change on human lives. Think about increasing inequality that some of us have more than we need and many of us barely have enough to survive. Think about the epidemic of anxiety and mental health challenges in places like Australia, the UK, and the United States. We're, We're materially well off, but something's broken inside. Maybe it's more personal for you and you're thinking about a broken relationship or a disappointment that you have, a physical or mental health challenge that it's hard to figure out uh, what the, if, if or what a solution might be for that. So God invites us to sit with this. God is here. Don't run away. Face the pain and wait for the comfort that is near. It may come when you least expect it. One of the, um, I often talk to people who will say, that they've left church or left faith because those spaces couldn't make room for their pain. Um, They came to somebody else and they talked about what was going inside and somebody immediately tried to cheer them up or fix them. And they're like, hey, this is really going on with me. Will you just wait and mourn mourn with me? I'm mourning. And um, so I I guess this isn't a place where I can tell the truth about myself, right? Well, Scripture actually gives us paths for when things don't add up in our lives. Uh, About a third to half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament or complaint. God, where are you? Have you fallen asleep? There's even a Psalm that, that the last line is, Lord, just look away from me so I can be happy for a few minutes before I die. That's the end of the psalm. There's no big chorus that says, and everything's awesome and you love me. No, it's just, this is where I'm at right now. Um, You've abandoned me. This sucks and I'm sad. And what's cool is God's God's fine with us expressing that. It's healthy. Um, Israel means those who wrestle with God. So we're in good company when we have the courage to complain and say, I'm struggling right now. I don't understand what's going on. In the labs that we do and retreats that I do, um, we get people to take a stab at sitting with their pain and writing their own laments or complaints. Uh, A few years ago, Lisa and I were up in um, Banger, Wales, leading a retreat. And um, this really big bloke who is an older person, um, we we gave people a couple hours to be be alone and write write a, a lament. And he wrote one about the ways he'd failed to be a loving presence in his daughter's life. And as he read it, he wept. And the next person who went was a woman who had just uh, had to put her husband in a home 
because he had advanced Alzheimer's and didn't even remember her anymore. This person that she loved her whole life. Uh, another person shared about um, a friend of theirs who just who died of an opioid uh, addiction, overdose. And it happened a couple years before, but she realized she'd never taken the time to really, really mourn that friend's death. By the end of the poems being read, we're all in tears. And it was actually hard to pull the group out of it. But it also felt like God's presence came near to us in the midst of sitting with that. And that's the mystery and promise of the power of lament and complaint. So there's things we go through, but Jesus also wept over systemic and mourned over systemic injustice. He looked over Jerusalem, a city that was special, but was also the place that had killed the prophets for hundreds of years. And I wonder if we're invited to do that as well. It's hard for those of us who are on the top side of power and privilege to mourn. And sometimes the people on the other side of it are stuck uh, with that mourning. Uh, it reminds me, um, on one of our last trips to Australia, um, we, we got a chance to um, meet and become friends with a group of younger Aboriginal Christians. Um, and so we went up to Port Augusta, got welcomed to country by my friend Yemi, who's on my, um, my right side in this picture. Our friend Ronnie said, Mark, you better, you better grab some kangaroo tail before the kids eat it all. And she grabbed one out of the coals and she cracked it in half and handed one half to Lisa, one half to me. And I peeled the skin off and took a big bite of that juicy, unctuous kangaroo tail. The juices got on my hands and it took three days to get away, get that smell out of my, out of my hands. But, um, while I was munching away, my friend Sean came up to me and um, he said, he said, pull out a $2 coin. And I did. And uh, he said, you see that guy in that coin? It look, he looks almost exactly like me. And it was true. And um, he said, do you know what's on the rest of the Australian coins? Animals. And it feels like maybe they thought we were animals when they put us on that coin, he said. You could hear the sadness, and I, I knew enough of his story to know of what it was like being treated like a second-class person, um, not part of the majority. So uh, a, a while later that night, um, this group of, of young women and um, girls called Dusty Feet Mob danced to some Christian worship songs, and then they had a, they had a song and a dance around the stolen generation. And it was very moving. And then Uncle Clayton got up and talked about his experience being one of those stolen children, what it was like being raised away from his family and culture, being having his language taken away from him. And then Uncle Paul got up and he said something I'll never forget. He said, we don't tell these stories to make anybody feel guilty. He, he said, but now that we know this history, Together, we can make a different and better future. And that's another power of lament, that, um, that when we can acknowledge missteps of the past, 
It's much, and it's healing for those affected, and it's much easier for us to create a better world when we can face those realities. After World War II, they, um, a psychologist in Germany talk, uh, uh, noticed a phenomenon called the inability to mourn. Many people who had participated in the Nazi regime couldn't grieve the mistakes and failure that they and their comrades had made. Uh, we had some folks from Germany in one of our labs recently, and it was so cool. They decided for their morning experiment that they would go out around their town, um, Gießen, Germany, and there are places where there are bronze plaques where Jewish families used to live. And they, um, they had the names of the people, and they prayerfully walked around and acknowledged that there had been people in their town who were no longer there, no longer alive because of an injustice in the past. And I think God's honored by, uh, by that kind of mourning as well. Well, another beatitude of Jesus, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Maybe you're thinking, I thought it was righteousness. Well, I do it this way because in the original language that Jesus spoke, righteousness and justice are the same thing. Sometimes we tend to think of righteousness as like me trying to get right with God. But um, in the original language, righteousness is more holistic. It means I, if I'm going to be right with God, I also have to be right with my brothers and sisters, with, with, with other people and with creation itself. So what's the first instinct that Jesus is naming around this? When we look at the overwhelming problems in our world, um, I think our first instinct often is to throw up our hands. So do this, throw up, our, throw up your hands and sort of say, what could one person do? The problems are, are too big. They're so overwhelming. And this is called learned helplessness. And I think, I think many of us Christians have baptized this idea of learned helplessness. And we'll say things, I, I, hear, I often hear people say things like, well, it's predicted in Revelation, things are going to go back from bad to worse. So let's not try and make the world better. You know, because Jesus can't come until it gets really bad, right? Or we'll say, you know, we're just miserable sinners who are forgiven. We can't do better than this. That's all we are. This is not what, the, what scripture proclaims. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You shape the world by your choices. Let your light shine. It says in Psalm 8 he, that we've been made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. Things can change. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Bring heaven, help be part of bringing heaven to earth. He wouldn't have told us that if it was impossible. So you're going to have to stand with me for this new posture. Stand up. And I want you to make a shape of strength with your arms. Think Wonder Woman or Wakanda here. Okay? What is the thirst for justice that's inside of you? How would you like the world to become different and better. You are a powerful being. You shape the world by your choices. How will you join the work God is doing to make all things new today? We can be a part of it. Okay, stay standing because I need you to for this next beatitude. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Do you remember doing this when you were a kid where you're watching a TV show or a movie and you're going, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in the movie? You remember this, right? And we want to see the good guy win 
and the bad guy get punished or even killed. They call this, in Hollywood, they call this redemptive violence. Yeah, right? So if you wanna have a blockbuster, you gotta have some redemptive violence in it, right? And then we do the same, we tend to do the same things to ourselves. Am I a good boy or a bad boy? A good girl or a bad girl? And if we don't live up to the standards, we kind of punish ourselves. And when other people don't live up to the standards, we look at them and we measure and evaluate. Are they doing what they're supposed to? Are they a goodie or a baddie, right? And so I think our first instinct is to, is to look down with the pointing finger. You can do this with me, okay? I used to watch this Canadian comedy with this character called the head crusher. And he'd stand in the, in the um, CBD of Toronto and he'd look at people across the square and he'd go, I crush you. I crush your head. I crush you. It was like, it was like contempt. Yeah, you can do it to me right now if you want. Everybody just crush my head. I crush you. I crush your head. Okay, so I know how, I know what it's like to be the person on the under, other end of the head pinch or the pointing finger. It feels awful. But let's admit, it also feels awful to be the person with the pointing finger. It, it's a ne- there are negative motion, emotions going on inside. And so Jesus with this beatitude is inviting us to stop being head crushers. So slap that, slap that arm down. Slap it down right now. What's the alternative? Instead of looking with eyes of contempt, we're being invited to deeply internalize Grace. So I want you to put your hands up in the shape of a heart. And I want to remind you that when God looks at you, God doesn't look at you with those doing, I crush you, I crush your head. God looks at us and because, because of the life of Jesus, says, this is my beloved child whom I love, precious to me. I see them through eyes of mercy and grace. And that takes a while for us. We can know it in our minds, but it takes a while for it to register in our whole self. So like punch it in there, try and like try and get it in there, right? And if we can internalize the radical message of grace, it will change how we see other people too. So I'm gonna invite you to take a risk. We're not always comfortable with this, but I'm gonna invite you to turn towards another person and look at them through the shape of a heart. Try and do it. Try, try and do it without giggling too much. I need a partner. Anybody willing to be my partner up here? Say what? Can I do that? Okay. Why don't you be my partner for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good idea. Yeah, come up on the stage. Come on up, Hannah. Okay. So I want you to look at that person through the shape of the heart. Keep doing it. Play along. And look right into their eyes and remember who you're looking at. Somebody made in the image of God called beloved. See them for who they are. All right? And think about, let let me guide you. Please try and be silent. Think about what it's like to look at somebody with that much favor. Even under your breath, whisper, child of God, may you be well. You can say it out loud if you want. Child of God, may you be well. And then I want you to think about uh, realizing that somebody's looking at you with eyes of compassion. Think about what it's like to be seen in such a tender way. And just hold that gaze for a moment.
All right, if you need to, go ahead and hug it out with that person. And you can sit down. So I'm going to ask you this. For what in your life do you need mercy? Where are those places where you go, not a good boy, not a bad girl, not measuring up, that you, you need to receive mercy and forgiveness for your mistakes and failures and limits? Also, who do you struggle to forgive or find yourself judging? There's a common phrase that says resentment is like drinking poison, hoping that someone else will get sick and die. <laughs> so we need release from that resentment, right? And the curious thing about what, uh, about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about this is th- um, those who forgive will be forgiven. And if I'm judging other people, it's a sign that I've not fully internalized God's radical love and grace for me. Because someone who's understood that reality can no longer look with the pointing finger and the, the head-crushing finger anymore. Does that make sense? You are deeply loved. Mercy dares us to believe that the truest thing about us is not that we're broken or flawed, but that we are beloved. In one of our labs, we do this practice positive speech. We'll say, for the next seven days, I will say nothing negative or critical or condemning about any other human being, including politicians, or myself. And every time I do this, I, I discover how often my mouth is, and mind are, are full of contempt. Um, sometimes Lisa and I will go for a walk and we're like, what do we talk about? We can't rag on other people this week, <laughs> right? But it, it's, a, it's a good practice to help us realize how often that's been part of our lives and how we're being invited into, a, into this new posture for life. All right, last beatitude I have a time to share with you tonight. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Uh, One great thing about young children is that they have no filter. There's no divide. Uh, If they're sad, you know it. But if they're happy, you know it. If if they want something, they will ask for it. I did this when I was a kid. Uh, One time I went to um, my neighbor's house for a meal, and they gave me this really cool antique magic trick. And a couple months later, I thought about how great that was. And that maybe this old man had more magic tricks that, uh, at his house and so, uh, that he wanted to give me. And so I went and I knocked on their door and I said, I would like you to give me a gift. <laughs> and um, they're like, oh, okay. And they went and tried to find something in the house to bring out to me. My parents were so embarrassed. <laughs> like, that's rude. You can't just go and ask people for things, right? So eventually, like you, I learned, oh, it's not safe to actually tell the truth and share what's inside. We created what psychologists call a mask or persona. So put up your mask for me, right? We, we learn to hide and pretend. What would you think of me if you really knew who I am? What I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, who I am inside. We fake it. 
till we make it. I'll tell you, the tragic thing about this in our time is that we are, have become experts at hiding and pretending. I sometimes have scrolled through my social media feed and I see my friends and the awesome meals they're eating and the great places they're going on vacation. Uh, the couples look like they're having the time of their lives. And then the next post they put on there is they're getting divorced. And I think this, this, doesn't, this doesn't match. Like last week, you, you were hanging out on the beach together having the time of your lives. What is going on? There's a lot of lying there, not telling the truth about what's really going on, right? I've had friends who have uh, taken their own lives after posting something that looked like they were having a great time. And so the masks don't work. And here, here's a, um, and even though we feel the, the need to have them, one reason that the masks don't work is that when we're hiding and pretending, God can't love or connect with us, right? And you see this in the Genesis story. Adam and Eve, they make, a, they make some choices. They, they, they feel vulnerable. They run into the bushes and they cover themselves with leaves. And God comes, the Lord says the Lord came through saying, Adam, where are you? We, like, we go for walks at sunset every night. Well, what are you doing hiding in the bushes like that? Come on out here and be with me. And so... Um, it doesn't work for our relationship with creator, right? But it also doesn't work for our relationships with one another. If I'm wearing my mask, and Hannah, you, you'll have to be the guinea pig again here, and sh she's wearing her mask, we can't connect. It's just two personas bumping up against each other there, right? It's not an authentic, real relationship. And this is why Jesus invites us to take off those masks. So what mask do you tend to wear? Where is there a divide between what's in your heart and what you're willing to show to others? So do join me in this. I want you to, I want you to pull off the mask, step out of the shadows and into the light, and show the real you. Give it some jazz hands so even there's some attention on you, right? God sees all. Step into the light of the Creator's tender gaze. Allow yourself to be seen and known. Examine your motives. How can you be more honest, true, and wholehearted today? Sometimes we get the idea that purity of heart means being perfect or excellent. But 1 John 1.9 tells us that what purity of heart is this. If we confess our mistakes, failures, and limitations, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we hide and pretend, the healing can't get in, right? And so taking it off and telling the truth it allows the light, God's light to touch us, and God's light heals and transforms. Unfortunately, often church is the hardest place to take off the mask. We don't, we don't want it to be that way, but there's something about because we, we want to be good people and we have some ideas about what's, what's right and wrong. And, what, and if, if we have struggles, it's really hard to tell the truth. And um, I think that each of us needs one or two people in our lives that we can say, this is what's really going on inside of me. And you sometimes have to take a risk to do this, but to trust that that person can hold your story, can empathize with you, 
and support you in your journey of saying yes to the best for your life. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, without judgment, with that, with that holding with tenderness. I was teaching on this in Uganda and uh, um, I asked for feedback at the end of the talk and passed around the microphone and a, a woman uh, grabbed the mic and she said, I've actually been not being wholehearted with my husband. There's needs and desires that I've kept to myself and I'm feeling invited to, to, to take a step to be a bit more vulnerable. Um, Lisa and I did this just a few weeks ago. We did a little bit of check-in. We were driving through Tasmania and we just said, is there anything that we haven't been talking about that's going on for us? And we had a tender conversation to kind of update on where we're at, where our struggles and challenges are. And wow, I felt less, I felt less anxious and I felt more connected um, when I took that chance with her. So I'd invite you to consider who you can, you can do that with. Well, there's so many other good nuggets in the Beatitudes. I don't have time to get into all of them tonight. But um, I'll, just, I'll just say this. When I was doing my research for, the, um, for this series in this book, I came across the writings of a guy named E. Stanley Jones. He, lived, he was a Christian missionary living in India at the time that Mahatma Gandhi was alive. And it's a little known fact that Mahatma Gandhi read the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount nearly every day of his adult life. It was something that he brought before his heart and mind each day as a guide. And he picked up one of the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount about nonviolence. Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, love your enemy and pray for them. And he used that as a tool for liberating his people from their occupiers. And um, E. Stanley Jones became friends with Mahatma Gandhi, wrote a book about Satagara, his approach, and it got into the hands of a young preacher in my country named Martin Luther King Jr. Anybody heard of this guy? Um, who, who, t- who was reminded of Jesus' teaching and used it to be a leader in our civil rights struggle uh, in the United States. So in E. Stanley's little book about the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, a little man in a loincloth in India picks out from the Sermon on the Mount one of its central principles, applies it as a method for gaining human freedom, and the world, challenged and charmed, bends over to catch the significance of this great sight. It is important of what would happen if we would take the whole of the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to the whole of life. It would renew our Christianity and it would renew our world. So if someone who's an outsider to our faith takes Jesus that seriously and it revolutionizes their society, imagine those of us who identify as followers of Jesus, if we would take Jesus that seriously, how would it change the church? How would it transform society? The sky is the limit, right? And so my sincere invitation to you tonight is to pay, to look carefully at the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and wrestle with how could we live in this vision of life? I really believe that the the Beatitudes are like Jesus' manifesto for a whole new way of being and living. And um, I've had, I think I'd have a better answer for Shinko now than I did years ago. Uh, Mark, as a follower of Jesus, what do you seek to do and to be? 
each day. I think now I'd be able to, based on the Beatitudes, I'd be able to say, well, Shinko, I try and live with open hands. I want to mourn what's broken. I want to serve others out of self-respect. I want to use my power for good. I want to look with compassion, walk in honesty, reach past differences to be a, a peacemaker, suffer for love, stand for justice even if it hurts, and get over fear and live courageously, following the way of radical love. Uh, sometimes I go, th- I go through the Beatitudes um, each morning. And actually, if you sign up for our email list, I'll send you a recorded musical meditation where I mention the Beatitude and then ask you some of those questions I, I ask this. And I do this sometimes walking around the square by my house in San Francisco. I know my neighbors might think I'm kind of weird when I'm walking around like this, right? But it's a good way for me to do a check to go, am I living close-handed or open-handed? Am I striving and comparing myself to other people? Or am I living out of my inherent worth? Um, Am I looking in judgment? Or is God inviting me to have compassion to that person who keeps hurting me in my life? Right? And it's a great way to refocus my expectations for the day. So I'd invite you to do the same. If you felt inspired about what I've been sharing, I'd invite you to, um, to, to grab a copy of um, my book, The Ninefold Path of Jesus, and work through some of these practices with some friends. Next week, if you're available during the day and you want to be someone who gets some training to learn how to offer this to others, I'd invite you to um, sign up for a lab that we have. You can, you can um, give your, Lisa your email address, and um, we'll just send you a little more information about that. But would you join me in praying through the Beatitudes as we close? Stand on up. And let's say these words and pray these words with our bodies together. Pray with me. Lord, today, may we live with open hands, mourn what's broken, serve with self-respect, use our power for good, look with compassion, Walk in honesty, reach past differences, suffer for love, and live fearlessly following your way of radical love. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.